And so with that, we're going to be reading from the Gospel Tool. We're on Thought Unit 25. And I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to be reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, if you want to find that in your Bibles. So from the Gospel Tool, Thought Unit 25, The Effects of Restored Relationship. In his death and resurrection, Jesus not only heals our relationship with God the Father, but also with each other. Just as we receive grace generously from God, so we are to extend it to every other person. As we are restored to the image of God, we are brought to unity and community as one family of God. And there are to be no dividing walls of hostility. And then we're in Ephesians 2. And I'm going to be reading verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. In one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So I spent some time this weekend with my nieces and nephews. Um, And if you've spent any time with children probably like pre-kindergarten age, 
They love to play imaginary things, right? Like a, a toddler can be a puppy and a superhero and a princess all in the same 20 minutes, right? You've, you've seen this happen. I'm a puppy. I'm, I'm a superhero. Um, children are so bent to want to figure out who they are. They're thinking about it. Like, what, what roles can I play? Where do I fit? What is my thing? And as adults, we kind of start to fit in these ruts of what we're supposed to do on this earth and what's productive and helpful. But children, children want to know who they are and who they can be. They want to see their potential and they want to know where they fit. It's, it's part of the human condition. We all want to understand who we are and where we belong. Humans have always been this way. And hundreds of years ago in the church of Ephesus, humans were that way too. Now, Ephesus was a Greek city, and it was a really diverse city. So on any given gathering of Ephesus for CRC, you might see Greeks and Jews and men and women. You would see rich and poor and slaves and masters. You've got this beautiful conglomeration of people, all of them here hungry to understand who they were now as this new body of Christ, this kingdom of God being built on earth. Early Christians took cues from Paul and they actually referred to themselves as a third race. So they knew that they weren't Jews anymore. They knew that they weren't Gentiles anymore. They were this, this new thing. But what was it to be a new race or a new thing? See, previous to Jesus, things had been pretty clear for both groups of people. Jews especially knew exactly what they were and how to be distinct. You probably remember those Old Testament laws given to Moses way back in the wilderness had made really clear that Jews had sets of laws and a culture to live into and that it was to be totally separate from any other people group in the world. The law had been clear about separation between Jew and Gentile. It had been clear about separation between men and women. Men had rights that women didn't have. Men could come into the temple and women had to stay in an outer court. There were rules about distinctions of slaves and masters and nearly every people group in there. Things were clear. And then Jesus came. This promised Messiah comes and he proclaims that the time had finally arrived where this beautiful heritage and identity, all of these promises were going to be showered on the whole world. The promises of the Jews were now extended to the Gentiles. And together, this beautiful motley crew of people were supposed to move forward into a whole new way of thinking and worshiping and living. Now, it sounds really simple all these years later, but can you imagine how awkward it was for a Jewish man to have a meal next to a Greek man? Like, we weren't even supposed to talk to each other before. How bizarre would it be for a Greek person raised in mythology to be told the story of Abraham and told, like, hey, the promises that God gave this man apply to you in this way. Like, it's just crazy to think about. It must have been so odd for men and women to suddenly be able to worship together in ways that they hadn't before. For sacrifices 
to be made in prayer rather than on altars. This, this whole, new, whole new way of living for circumcision to be replaced with baptism, for long-held cultural structures to be broken down and yet somehow rebuilt on their old foundations. This had to be so confusing. And we can read in Paul's letters to other churches that within this context of these merging groups of people, the Jews were tempted to want to be elevated among their Gentile brothers and sisters because of the things that they knew about their heritage. And the Gentiles struggled to understand how they would ever fit into this whole new family and this heritage and these promises. Humans are such a paradox. We all somehow want to understand our own unique identity and stand out, but we also want to fit in and know where we belong. How often don't we find ourselves in conversations saying things like, Oh, I'm Dutch. I'm American. I'm a vegan. I'm a musician. I'm a GVSU grad. I'm a student. I'm a mom, I'm a Republican, I'm this, I'm that, I live here, I work there. This is who I am. Do you see that I'm special? This is who I am. Is there a place for me with you? There's nothing wrong with celebrating who God has made us to be. That's a gift It's good to celebrate the gifts that he's given us, the talents, the interests. There's nothing wrong with wanting to fit and belong and relate. But there is something wrong when the way that we identify ourselves is different from how God identifies us. And there is a problem when our attempts to value ourselves devalues others. There is a problem when we as believers fail to take the time to see the inherent value and purpose for every other believer in Christ. The body of Christ is not complete when this one is not welcome. It's not complete when that one doesn't feel safe. The body is not complete when her voice is not heard and when his gifts are not used. The truth is that God's desire for the church was diversity. And the only thing that has no room in the body of Christ is sin. God created us with this vast and beautiful diversity, and without that diversity, the body of Christ is not complete. And this is what Paul was trying to explain to this diverse body of people. Paul starts with the Gentiles. Listen, he says, to those who are not born into this covenant. Remember, you weren't born into this. Before Jesus, you were completely separate for Christ. And what a terrible place it is to be, separate from Christ. No light, no hope, no spiritual blessings, no peace, and no true joy. You had no hope. God was not having a tangible presence in your world. But now... Paul says, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. 
The power of the law was abolished and Jew and Gentile have now been reconciled to God and as such to one another. This is the part where the ears of the Jews in the audience would really be perking up. Because Paul is not saying that all those rules from the Old Covenant are irrelevant. What Paul is saying that is that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, Israel's inability to perfectly keep all those rules no longer had the power to separate them from God. What Paul is saying is that because of God's love for the world, and because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, Gentiles could be brought near. They were no longer to be measured up against laws that they didn't understand and were unable to obey. What Paul is saying is that the incredible love of God and the blood of Jesus has literally bridged all the gaps and all the divisions. It no longer mattered if they were Jew or Gentile. It didn't matter if they were male or female, if they were rich or poor, if they were a slave or a master. Through the blood of Jesus, everybody has access to God. The same access. It's incredible if you think about it. Each one has a gift. Each one has a purpose and a role to play. And they are all now brought near to God and because of it, We can be brought near to one another. Together. Like some glorious cosmic kaleidoscope. Have you seen those? Like you turn them and they've got all the gemstones in them. All of our colors and flavors, our textures, our languages, our cultures, and our gifts, they come together as one glorious expression of God and his incredible diverse but unified kingdom. Paul goes on to use an image of a temple being built up to make his point. He explains how there's this firm foundation, right? Like a building needs a firm foundation. It's been laid by the words of the apostles and the prophets. Foundation is the word of God. This foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And upon this foundation, each member of the body is being laid upon that foundation like a stone. And if you go see the old temple, these stones are like mega big and they stick together nice and tight. Each member is being laid on that foundation and held together as Christ, in Christ, as his temple. So as we get built up, we are literally the dwelling place of God. This temple is not a haphazard pile of stones. They aren't just like randomly dumped in a field or smashed up against each other. God cuts and he shapes each stone. He arranges and he builds his church for his own glory and his own purposes. Now back in the book of Kings, Solomon built the first grand temple. And when he did that, each stone was taken out of the city to be cut and chiseled to the perfect size that would match a cornerstone that designated how big each one of those blocks need to be. The craftsmen that worked on the temple did their cutting and chiseling far away from the temple so that the loud grating and cracking wouldn't disturb the peace of the temple. The prophet Isaiah described that temple of God as being made of sparkling jewels. So imagine each one of those bricks being a very specific, beautiful gemstone. Different colors, different shapes, different cuts. 
Each one, while different, must be measured against the cornerstone of Jesus in order for strong, sturdy walls to be built. So what do these pictures mean? It means that you and me and all who are in Christ are being chiseled to match our cornerstone. Any area of our lives that does not fit with the example Jesus set in the word of God must be chiseled off and shaped. And when God cuts and chisels, I'm assuming it doesn't feel very good. I don't, I'm not assuming, I know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel very good sometimes when God cuts and chisels. Being chiseled might mean taking a step back, not from the body, but from service as the Lord does work until such a time as we serve as he calls. It might mean being tossed into a rock tumbler with other rocks where we bump into each other and somehow chisel each other into shapes and sizes. But when God does his work of chiseling, he's doing it so that we might fit together perfectly. So that we might build beautiful walls of a temple and so that we might belong and take our place in the body of Christ where God himself dwells. This picture means that while we're cut and chiseled to size like a wall of precious gems, we each add our own distinct beauty to this body. And each one is needed and valuable. This picture means that I'm valuable to the body. It means that you are valued to the body. And it means that all who have not yet begun to be cut and chiseled, all who are in the process of being ground down, all in their various colors, shapes, and sizes, all in Christ have inherent value. And God desires that we would all belong so that he can dwell among us. It means that for the temple of God to be built, we all must be committed to unity. A wall cannot be built if stones refuse to stick together. Now it's interesting that later in Ephesians 4, Paul urges the churches to keep or preserve the unity. He doesn't say make the unity or create the unity. He says preserve it. Because we can't create unity. We can try. Many people are trying to create unity, but it's the Holy Spirit that creates unity. But that can only happen to the degree to which you and I have surrendered ourselves to God. To how he thinks. To how he sees each one. Unity can only happen when we, like God, are aware that each person has a purpose. That each one in Christ is a dwelling place of the same Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And as we obey the spirit to which we are being molded and shaped by, as we grow in unity, we are the answer to Jesus' prayers before he died. We read in John 17 where Jesus prays, I pray for all those who will believe in me. Through the message of my disciples, that's us, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, 
may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, and then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Friends, it's pretty obvious that we live in a world of disunity right now. Sometimes the disunity around us seems impossible to bridge. But I believe that all that chaos and disunity has provided us as a body of Christ with a profound opportunity to be those who model what it can be to be both diverse, where each one has a place, and yet unified. To do the work of living into our unique ways that we image God while still being willing to be shaped into Christ. To love one another as our Father loves us and to be one in Christ so that the world will know the goodness of our God. And so as we come to a conclusion of the sermon, I want to invite the worship team up. And I want to close with some questions. And I just want to make space for you to sit with the Lord and consider them. So the first question is, how might God be wanting to shape and form me? Is he doing any chiseling work or cutting work in your life? And what does obedience to that invitation to be shaped look like? Am I willing to be shaped and formed and see value in people that I disagree with? Do I have grace for myself while I'm being shaped and formed? And do I have grace for others who are being shaped and formed? And does the way that I come together with others come from a place of desiring all parties to grow up into Christ? 